let's just let's dish the podcast and just go get some Korean barbecue. Um, but I mean, this is the Banquet Hall podcast, so I think that starting a podcast with food is always a good option. Nice. Um, so, so maybe maybe Korean barbecue will be our appetizer for the podcast. Before I even introduce the podcast, I'm gonna put you on the spot with the random icebreaker question of Ooh. what is your favorite Korean barbecue meat? Oh man, favorite Korean barbecue meat. Recently, it's been top pla- a top plate steak. Um, I don't know what cut that is, but I just been really enjoying that. Um, and then me and my friend actually went to three five six on Friday. Um, mm. shout, out, shout out to Ralph, love you. Um, and we got a lot of top plate. Um, I think second runner up though is beef belly. I, I I like beef belly more than brisket. Yeah. Why do you like it more? Let's get into the science of it. Just the, the fattiness, man. You know, when like you take a bite and it feels like you have chapstick on your lips after. No, I'm kidding. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice, delicious uh, beef fat to moisturize your lips on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's, <laughs> there's nothing better. Um, actually, my dad was in San Diego a couple weekends ago, and he had asked about a Korean barbecue spot, and I was like, "Well, if you want some really good Korean barbecue." Three five six. I literally went there for the first time, probably like a month ago, mm. and it was delicious. Um, listeners, I hope that y'all have a full stomach when you're listening to this episode, because uh, if you just started this episode and we talk about Korean barbecue, y'all might be wanting to turn this podcast off already to get in the car and go to K barbecue. But the good news is you can listen to this podcast as you're driving to get your Korean barbecue. And I think that is the best thing to keep in mind. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the podcast itself. Uh, listeners, y'all got a little bit of an appetizer with the Korean barbecue talk, but want to formally invite y'all and welcome y'all into the Banquet Hall podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyler Nathan. You can follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod on social media. Uh, I am blessed to be joined with another one of the UCSD gang. Uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great, doing great, Kyler. You know, privileged to be here and privileged to know you. So um, doing great this morning. Chris, if I haven't told you enough, you're always so intentional with the language that you use, and I appreciate it. Like, a privilege to know me. You're going to say that on a Sunday morning. Like, yes, wow, sir. I, I am touched. A privilege to be at the banquet hall. A uh, privilege to have you as a guest as well. This is a conversation that we've had a couple of times about me wanting to have you on the podcast um, I think that there's just like a lot of people that I went to UCSD with. Who I'm like, no, nah, like I need their story on the podcast. So you're definitely one of those people. Thank you. Uh, I've also had several people that you're close with on the podcast as well. Uh, shout out to Birdhouse. So I had to yes, make sir. sure I got you on the podcast as well. Uh, for our listeners who haven't tuned into all of our episodes and heard some of the earlier episodes, uh, I want to start by talking about Birdhouse and some of the um, guests that I've had on the podcast who are part of Birdhouse. So I've had Cameron Clerkley on the podcast. Yes. I've had Powell on the podcast. Talk to us a little bit about Birdhouse real quick before we get into the meat of the podcast. Yeah. So, you know, I love my brothers. Uh, you know, shout out to Nikki, Cam, Josiah, and Paolo. Uh, for those that don't know who Birdhouse is, they're a great group of gentlemen who have inspired my life. Met them at uh, UCSD uh, during my second and first years. And then we moved together our third years. Uh, lived with them for a long time. Uh, Powell being the longest I've lived with for seven years, um, the rest of the guys about four or five years. And, you know, you look at each of them and there's something that they're doing that, you know, their hearts in um, and that they really invested their energy, uh, mind, body and soul into um, and just grateful to know them. Yeah, I, I love just hearing like the origin stories of 
college friend groups and just how tight knit people are. I think that I'm not sure how long ago it's been now, but I know y'all had like a birdhouse reunion of sorts in San Francisco, right? I think I saw those pictures on Instagram. Yeah, and it's funny. We actually just, uh, me and Pal booked our flights to fly up to San Francisco next month um, for, I guess, now our second annual uh, San Francisco wow. reunion. But we're going to go up to Lake Tahoe um, and uh, get a little weird, if uh, you know what I mean. So it'll be fun. <laughs> I don't know if I know what you mean, Chris. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know, then you're going to know. <laughs> hey. Hey, I like it. That's that's a good draw. Now I'm now I'm curious. Now when the reunion comes, I'm gonna be waiting for those IG pigs. Oh, so I can man. be like, how weird did y'all get? I'll just send you a text <laughs> message. It's it's time to get weird, Kyler. <laughs> <laughs> I am not mad at it. Uh, but Chris, the first formal question I always ask on the podcast: where are you from and how did that shape who you have become and are in the process of becoming? Oh, we, I, when I saw that question, I, I was like, I knew how much intention is going into this and I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Um, so where am I from? I'm from, I'm going to reference some of my I Am poem that I wrote for grad school. So I'm from Southeast San Diego, um, south of the eight, which is uh, a common phrase used by a lot of folks from San Diego and from quite literally south of the eight, uh, grew up in a neighborhood of color, uh, born to amazing uh, parents that immigrated from the Philippines to, you know, give me and my brothers a shot at life and education. So, you know, very familiar story to the neighborhoods south of the eight. Um, I'm from a mother who had to raise me by herself um, and had an income that, you know, I discovered in high school was poverty level, um, mm. but still, did everything she could to make it seem like we were living the dream. I mean, that, that was never the case. So um, I am from Yolanda Tolosa Feliciano. Um, I'm from my brothers as well too. Um, the neighborhoods and the time that they grew up in put them pretty close in proximity to the school to prison pipeline. Um, and my second oldest brother was pretty involved with the gang activity happening in uh, our neighborhood. But I'm also from this mindset that what they went through isn't necessarily a reflection of their characters, but a reflection of their situations. Um, and all of these things combined, you know, growing up in Southeast, uh, growing up uh, to the dreams of my immigrant parents and growing up to the situations my brothers found themselves in, um, that made me just question why are these things happening around me? Mm -hmm. um, and what didn't happen for my brothers to get the shot at education I had. Mm. Um, but I didn't have it perfect. You know, I didn't have that mindset totally nailed down when I was a teenager. Um, and in fact, I think a lot of my uh, reactive energy to that was wanting to escape, you know, quite literally mm. my personal statement to UCSD was I want to make it out. So, you know, that was my um, origin story, if you will, trying to get education. Um, but What's been really amazing and really, I feel privileged that I get to do now is to turn around and go back to the community and understand, well, what were these things and why is it that the things that I'm from pushed me to where I was, but then also push others to where, you know, they didn't have as much privilege. And so um, that pushes me into my career in college access and admissions and trying to figure out how do we increase 
the reach and increase the access to navigational capital for students like us, students in communities like yours and like mine. Um, so I have the privilege and dream now of saying I'm doing work where I'm from mm -hmm. so that students of today don't have to face what I did yesterday. I think that was fantastic. I think remember what I was supposed to tell you before we started giving a peep on the curtain to our listeners. But one of the things I say before I start recording usually is that there's no such thing as too long or too short of an answer. And it's for that very reason, because I think that uh, some people, they could just say, oh, I'm from San Diego. And yeah, like, I just love growing up in San Diego. But when you give people the time to tell their story, there's so many nuggets in there that sprout different and new conversations. Yeah. And there are so many things just in that initial answer that I feel is really kind of the thesis statement for what I feel this podcast podcast is going to be like. Um, one thing specific that you started your uh, explanation with, you mentioned that you discovered in high school that the income level that your family was making was like a uh, lower income level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that there's so much in that discovered in high school thing, because I think that's one of the things that I went to a white private high school. Obviously, we both went to UC San Diego. And I think it's not to where you're in these spaces where you see the disparities and in the income yeah. inequity and inequality that it's like, oh, like, I understand like what people mean, like when they talk about impoverished communities, because obviously when I was not obviously, but when I was growing up, I had a lot that I always wanted. I was happy. Like I was a family. I had my games, my toys. And so, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is the life. Like, how can life get much better than playing my PlayStation 1 right now? Yeah. My Nintendo 64. And then I will never forget this time I was in high school. It was my senior year. And there was this freshman girl. I'll let the listeners guess her race at the end of the uh, story. But uh, I was just walking past the gym. And she was talking to her friends. And she was like, yeah, I'm just so upset because my friends all have, like, two yachts. And my family only has one. I was just like, what? Right. I don't even have a car yet. Yeah, man. And quite frankly, yachts not even in my like, oh, I'll be able to afford a yacht soon. Like, I'm not thinking about yachts right now. Like, I would love to like maybe go on a yacht to visit, but right. I didn't think like my family owning a yacht. Like, no, that's ridiculous. And I think that when you come into these spaces and you start to see the disparities, and then you go to a place of higher education, you learn more about the systemic things beyond all of that or behind all of that there's just so many layers to that and then the other thing that you were talking about that I think really resonated with me was this notion of what made me different like mm -hmm. I got to go to higher education I got to get these degrees what were the circumstances to where I had this opportunity but my cousin didn't or my brother right. brother didn't have these opportunities and that's something that's been like at the forefront of my mind as I'm starting to like think through screenplays as I'm starting to write more poetry and prepare for writing another poetry book. I think that's a big kind of thesis question in my head is like, we all were in the same backyard. Like yeah. what, what were the things that led to me being where I am today? Right. Right. And and that, that's the core of it. You know, if, if we get to then just illuminate those things, understand why um, it makes the what that much stronger. Like, what are you trying to do? And, but do you understand 
why you have to do um or perhaps why you could and when one person couldn't so um it's important to name those things it's funny you bring up video games because you know i was the same way man i was like oh yeah you know i got my brother got the latest ps2 i'm playing games everything is fine um but you know going through all of that as well playing games for me was my escape you Mm -hmm. know you know i'm like man like there was i think there was a there was a moment in time where uh, my house recently got shot at Uh, long story short my uh, my brothers they both went into military service and then one of them came from a service trip um, where it got around that he was back and so you know they fired some warning shots into our garage so as like a 12 year old i'm like yo what's going on i tried telling the police as my dad was talking to them like what happened but my dad just shoot me in so i'm like i'm just gonna play games because this is a lot so you know, at, at some points you feel like it's everything is good but then once you start getting the flashlight that shows everything around you then it's like things start to click and a lot of that clicked for me in high school yeah absolutely and i think it's stories like this that made me really appreciate uh the different students of color organizations i think we call them the sac or student mm-hmm. action committee um but like KP, BSU, like I really appreciated getting to understand more of the experience of other marginalized groups because growing up in a predominantly black neighborhood in a predominantly black area of Los Angeles, like a lot of this is like, oh yeah, like this is just like what black people experience. But then to be able to hear like the stories of other people of color and see where our stories align, where our stories resonate, because a lot of the like, oh, what made it different for me, like I was just in a house trying to catch them all with Pokemon sometimes. Like I was really trying to complete my Pokedex. So I wasn't right. out in the streets as much. Um, but at the same time, like there's people who are out in the streets who are also trying to complete their Pokedex. There's just so many different yeah. layers to this. And I know we could talk for hours and hours on end about just all the systemic inequities and whatnot. Um, but yeah, just affirming that I appreciate your presence on this podcast to be able to give language to some of those things yeah. because these are stories that need to be shared and need to happen. Um, we've mentioned UCSD a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, obviously, you are a San Diego native. Yeah. What made you want to attend UC San Diego for your education? Yeah, that's a, I appreciate that question because for me, it's it's layered. It, it ties also to where I'm from, too. Um, when I was applying to college, I, I just kind of knew I had to figure out a way to just get out. Um, but part of me also felt like I needed to be close to family. I'm really close to my mom. Um, and, you know, really thankful I get to see her and then take her out for lunch like I am today. But during that time, you know, a lot was going on and I just wanted to be close enough that, you know, if she needed me 20 minute drive, no problem. Like I'm there. Um, but you know, I could be further enough away from my home to figure myself out. Um, I, I did fall in love with the campus, uh, on my own though, uh, before even applying, I, I had this, uh, summer program I attended when I was a junior in high school called Cosmos. And, um, it was, it was a STEM summer camp. It did have a tuition and I would, it, it was, it was a push to get my dad to say like, Hey, like, you know, my, my teacher told me this could help me my college application. So I need to go. Um, I did get a part of a tuition scholarship, but you know, that was one of those moments where like kind of similar to your, your uh, private school experience. I'm like, oh, we y'all got it different than I do. <laughs> um, so, you know, in, in navigating that, I, I still found my place with people that I could resonate with. And it, it built my confidence to go to a place like UCSD. So, you know, wanting to be close to home, but far enough to find myself and then being at a place where I feel like I already had a connection to, you know, it, it all came together for me. 
Yeah, and I think that that is a shared experience for a lot of people who went to colleges uh, close to where they grew up or close to where home is. Uh, one of the things that made me want to pursue my education at UCSD was that it was close enough and far enough at the same time. Like, I felt like I was getting a different experience, but now I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, now I really want to be closer to home too. So uh, family's just, family's paramount. Your community is important. I think right. our listeners fully understand just 12 or so minutes into a podcast, just how much your community is important to you. Um, and speaking of that community, I like to say that I'm a part of your community. Do yes. you remember when we first crossed paths? Like oh, man. And it's funny because I've literally asked you, I think 10 times, Kyle, you were Summer Bridge, right? <laughs> so, um, and I was not, it was not, it was not, um, long story short, uh, you know, I was part of Summer Bridge and, you know, I got to meet, meet great folks like Crystal Hammond, uh, Andre Thompson, um, Paolo Esguera. And, you know, these were all people that you and I shared uh, friend groups with. And, you know, me and Andre uh, specifically, we we dormed in the same um, hall together um, and we were on the same side of the dorm. So I would always walk out and, you know, I, I'd see you chilling. I'm like, oh, what's up? Um, but I had in my mind that you did Summer Bridge because I'm like, that, that just makes sense because everyone that I hang out with yeah. at Summer Bridge. Um, I was friends with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'd always see each other in spaces and, um, you know, I I always kind of knew, like, I need to get, like, closer to Kyler at some point. But um, I think I was still overcoming my awkward phase. So I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Um, but, <laughs> you know, as as you're probably going to get into with some questions later, you know, we got to work a lot more closely towards the end of our undergrad career. And, you know, we, we definitely hit off from there. So I always knew you were a kinfolk. Um, <laughs> I think it was just a matter of time and space. And honestly, Chris, like, I, I appreciate that awkward side of you, too. Like, the little sub, man, like, I was like, oh, like, I like this. I like people's yeah. quirk. Like, I like when people are like, yeah, like, this is who Chris is. And you uh, alluded to us becoming closer. Uh, Trident Summer Academy, let's get right into it. So uh, your fifth year at UCSD, I think this was? Yeah, my graduating year. So your graduating year at UC San Diego, uh, I was working in the Office of Admissions, uh, I think I just started uh, as a full-time staff. Like I'm literally like brand new into uh, being a professional and you interviewed to be a part of the Trident Summer Academy. Um, I'm not going to say on record whether or not nepotism was involved with that, but you also <laughs> heard your spot. <laughs> um, but I think that goes to show like what a strong network is because when I saw you apply for the program, I was like, oh, Chris can do this easy. Like right. just looking at your resume, knowing who you are, knowing the people you know, I was like, oh, Chris can easily do this. And then you earned your spot. Like I don't want to like minimize you earning your spot on the Summer Academy roster. And then like, yeah, when you entered the room for training at first day, I was like, wow, like little old me is about to train like someone that was friends like with one of my best friends. And like, I knew like as a first year student at UCSD, I think that was a big like adulthood moment for me. I was like, wow, mm -hmm. like people in this room were like waiting on me to train them. Um, and I think I, I forget who I asked this on a podcast, but I asked somebody what I was like as a supervisor. But from your experience, what was that summer academy experience like with me as, I wasn't your supervisor technically, but I was your supervisor. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was that experience like? <laughs> Yeah, and I'll be truthful with you. I think um, it felt very horizontal. Um, I think that was one of the first moments where I'm like, okay, we're breaking the traditional paradigm of, you know, this person has 20 years of experience, so I must listen to everything that they're saying. Um, but at the same time, I knew, I just had this kind of trust because I knew the kind of community person that you were, that you had students 
best interests in mind. Um, and I also knew there was a ton that you were coordinating. Um, so I think as a friend, as a colleague and a coworker in that moment, I'm like, I knew I need to step up because this is Kyler's program. Like, still, so it's our program, but yeah, we know how programs go. And I want to make sure um, I'm doing my piece of the puzzle so the picture that you're painting can be complete. Um, it never really felt like uh, we weren't on different planes, but I knew what my job was. And I knew what your job was. And I, if I ever needed like something like, hey, Kyler, like, you know, we're trying to throw this on for the sweet meeting or, yo, Kyler, this, uh, this common ground thing didn't go too well. What, what's the, what's the next move? So um, it was great uh, being not just, you know, under your direction, but on the, on the same ground doing the work with you. Um, and, you know, I might cause some controversy saying this, but, you know, our, our team, you know, dream team that year i've changed my mind I'll, I'll be outside with coffee for a great conversation and debate <laughs> if anyone else wants to talk about that shout out to edwin and everyone else who was on that team <laughs> yeah y'all are y'all are definitely the dream team i have no qualms saying that on record on the podcast like and people will listen to this and be like really no like that was <laughs> that was the best team that i have been a part of full stop I think I feel confident saying that mm. um, like and the reason I say like best team full stop, like whether as a professional since then, uh, as a student, like I just feel like overall, I really appreciated the dynamics of that group. Uh, it was a very diverse group of young scholars, uh, people in their second years, all the way up to people about to graduate from UC San Diego, people from all different backgrounds and walks of life. Uh, transfer students, students who have spent four plus years at UCSD. Um, and I think the common core between us all was that love for students. Yeah. And I think that that made it a lot easier to where if there were like little bits of conflict or if there were things that weren't working out, there was this common ground of like, yeah, we're all here for the shared mission, the shared purpose. And I appreciate what you said about like doing your part to help with this full picture that's being painted because that's what it felt like. It was yeah. like, even if I don't know the answer to this, I know that the bright minds in this room, we can figure this out together. Uh, there was a lot of adapting on the fly. Yeah, uh, like, I felt like we we're in like a, I don't want to say war room, but a strategy room uh, when we're coming up with the schedule because we're going through minute by minute asking questions. I would always encourage y'all to poke holes in what I was doing. Like, yeah, like I'm not an expert. Y'all. I'm literally 21 years old and they gave me like thousands of dollars to run this program. I have no right. idea. Where <laughs> right. And you did a great job. And I remember that being one of my most formative moments in my professional career. So, you know, I give flowers where it's due and I think you deserve yours. And I don't think I had shared this with you, but I actually wrote about Trident Summer Academy in my grad school personal statements. Oh, wow. Um, and there was a specific student that I got a link with. And this is why I was just so grateful for you know, working on the team and having an opportunity you gave me. There's a student I met from my community. So he his name is Daniel. He went to O'Farrell um, Charter School. A little context here. That was only a middle school when I was there. And now it's a high school. So I'm like, <laughs> that is crazy. Um, and he was going into his senior year. We connected on a lot of things, you know, being from the Philam community, also facing the Philam struggles, you know, uh, having career pathways of either being a doctor, nurse, or lawyer projected onto us. And <laughs> We got to connect deeply about that. You know, he had this great interest in becoming an ethics studies teacher. Um, and I told him, like, look, I know you're getting these messages from your family, but this is your life to live and this is your education to pursue. I think you can meet those wants and dreams halfway. 
but you're the driver of your car. Um, you know, and fast forward about a year after we, we stayed in touch. We even got like lunch every now and then, uh, took him to a little Sakana here and there. He got into UCSD after, um, mm -hmm. after, uh, the program, um, he texted me, you know, I was, you know, I was almost in tears because I'm like, man, this is so full circle. And then it extended because he'd invite me back to speak. Um, he ended up doing KP core and he actually ran one of the high school conferences and, um, I got to be a speaker for him. And mm. I also included his story of us working together in my grad school statements. And that got me into uh, Harvard's Graduate School of Education. Wow. So shout out to Trident Summer Academy. Yeah, shout out to Trident Summer Academy, man. And for our listeners, I don't know if we've ever on the podcast explained exactly what TSA was, but uh, Trident Summer Academy is a program targeted towards historically under historically underrepresented students uh, with an emphasis on BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, it targeted high school juniors who were about to start applying to UC San Diego, as well as community college students who were anywhere in their track of wanting to transfer to UCSD uh, with the goal of giving these historically underrepresented students an opportunity to get a firsthand hands-on feel of UC San Diego, uh, learn from mentors like Chris about what its life as a student is like, uh, and paint a very honest picture of UCSD, I'll say, like, we took them into a lot of lab space and they got to do a lot of hands-on stuff. But at the same time, we were really encouraging the mentors to share their stories, whether they were, I love UCSD and it's the best place on earth, or yeah, I don't really like it here, but this is how I've been navigating this college campus, because those are stories that are just so important. Right, right. And it's through those stories that I feel like the program was such a huge success. Absolutely. Shout out to Trident Summer Academy. Um, before we leave UCSD Corner, I, I think it's very important for any of my guests who went to UCSD with me or wherever people go to college or whatever they're passionate about. I like to have people talk a little bit about what they majored in at UCSD mm -hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. One, of course, just to add more uh, pixels to your high resolution story, but also because I think when it comes to college access, college outreach, there's always this question when we're talking to students about, oh, what do you want to major in or what majors do you have? And I think that too often majors are talked about as if there's these boxes that we're putting people in. Yeah. And I think that people can do a number of things with any major. People can do things that are not related to their major at all. Uh, people can have a major and then find their passions outside of that major after they graduate. Right. Uh, so starting with your first stint at UC San Diego, uh, what was your major what did you pursue and studying at uc san diego Ooh yeah so I'll, I'll give you what i started with and then it sounds like the conversation will continue about what it turned into um so i entered ucsc with a degree in physics um or major in physics not degree i had a dope teacher at morris high school who's still there her name's miss nemechek um and i think she just had this way of connecting with students um and making physics fun but also making it known that she's there for us. Like you, you go to lunch and like all the students are like hanging out in her classroom, like chopping it up with her. And, and she says some off the wall stuff every now and then, but nothing that was like offensive, but everything that was like, yo, I'm down for Miss Nemechek. So I wanted to do the same thing that she did. So I'm like, that means I'm gonna go get a degree in, in physics. <laughs> and I'm gonna go teach it. Um, and and for what it's worth, I actually did enjoy physics. The whole problem-solving processes were extremely stimulating for me. 
until it wasn't and you know it was all downhill from there but <laughs> uh, you know we'll, we'll get into that in a second so you started out as physics and i i think that's where the fun really is because there's been several guests on the podcast who are like yeah well i started as this right <laughs> it's like especially with knowing who a lot of these people have become it's like really you started as that like you don't not that you don't strike me as a physics person but i would have never guessed your first major at ucsd was physics um but what did you end up studying or what did you end up receiving your degree in i should say yeah it was so i finished with a degree in chemistry um and a little backstory there is uh by my third year at ucsd you know of course everyone transitioning to the upper div courses and taking all this high level coursework by that point i I felt pretty lost in different ways. I was working so I can afford being there. Um, I was joining dance teams and finding myself, you know, exploring my creativity and fulfilling that whole part of me. And then realizing I'm not really passionate about what I'm studying. I knew what my passion was formulating into and working with students. Um, but the first quarter that I was doing my physics operative coursework, I actually almost failed out. I got two Fs and a D and on my transcript following that quarter, I was subject to disqualification. So it was a, a big turnaround point because I had to ask myself, like, or what's my goal here? Um, and my answer to that was I have to finish. Mm -hmm. So I, I linked up with uh, my mentors, um, you know, again, I, a lot of love for Summer Bridge because that was my support system. Linked up with my friends and said, like, what I, where do I go from here? And then when I sat down with my advisor, we looked at my courses and they said, oh, you're doing good in chemistry, so why don't you just finish in that? Um, and lo and behold, I actually really enjoyed it. I I wanted to finish for the sake of finishing, and it was like a cherry on top that the chemistry material was actually pretty fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, you, you hear a lot of people say like, oh, man, OCHEM is killer. And I'm like, oh, that was kind of fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I remember actually just having um, moments where I'm like, marking up all the guys with library whiteboards of the uh, reaction pathways and all the um, chemical diagrams and everyone's like you're doing that right now I'm like yeah I, I finished the exam but I was kind of curious about other ways I can go about it um, <laughs> so that that was a little fun like fun nerd moments for me um, but but yeah the goal was just to finish so that I can get straight into the work and that turned into uh, taking five years at UCSD, which I'm not ashamed about. Um, I saw it more as... Or should you be? <laughs> yeah, it was a victory lap. And if anything, it actually really set me up for my career in access and outreach and working with communities because all the opportunities that opened up. Yeah, and let's get into that as well. In terms of like involvement at UC San Diego, we mentioned the Trident Summer Academy, we mentioned KP. What were some of the ways that you were getting involved out so inside and outside of our campus and how that has impacted you to this day yeah i'd say definitely one of the starting points was with a kp or kaibigan filipino uh the filipino slash filipino american student org at ucsd they had an outreach component which um i'm, I'm jumping forward here but a uh, little full circle moment is i'm actually yeah. training volunteers now from oh, wow. the KP core to work with our students. Um, oh, that's awesome. They came to office hours uh, the, other, the other night, and they're coming back next Saturday. So very full circle. I started with them, you know, volunteering for the high school conference, inviting students from San Diego over. Um, and then beyond that, I started working more with Upward Bound programs. Um, and this isn't, I'm trying to say this in a way where it's not 
like I'm shading KP Core. Mm. That was the start, but I knew I needed to learn more. Um, and I wanted to do it in a um, paid professional position. So I found Upward Bound um, and I got to do more academic tutoring services. I got my practice starting in college advising through them. Um, one of my formative uh, student jobs was actually up at UC Santa Cruz where I did a residential summer program um, and you know met some amazing students. Some of them are in amazing places now, not even just in college, but you know some of them are photographers in LA and just seeing how their dreams prospered from there. So, so yeah, a lot of work with Upward Bound. I did some also student retention work for mm -hmm. first-gen students because the conversation is always, yes, you know, get the students in, but then what happens when they get there? So mm -hmm. I wanted to explore both sides of that access and success spectrum and, you know, did some, I guess, side quests, if you will. I got to, I wanted to minor in public service. And unfortunately, the way my fifth year worked out, I couldn't finish it. But it's funny because I, I became the program coordinator for it. So I'm like, well, you know, I, I guess technically I'm not doing public service. So um, <laughs> that was fun. But but yeah, the combination of those things gave me a lot of the foundational tools to then go into my career. Because, you know, as you know, and from what you've done, programs takes a lot of like understanding um, what are the different moving parts? Um, and then working with students, like what are different practices to make sure you're individualizing the approach? All of those started with the involvements I had at UCSD. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why I've spent probably more time in this college corner than I usually do is just because I think that our stories and how we experience higher education impacts the way we serve others and we do access work, we do retention work. And so I just really appreciate just all the different layers to your story at UC San Diego and how that all shaped who you have become. And I think that regardless of if you can officially say you have a public service minor or not, you have public service experience that goes beyond yeah. a minor. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so yeah, I am grateful for all my experiences. I wouldn't change any of them because they really springboarded me into my career. Absolutely. And so you obviously got tired of sunny San Diego and all the beautiful beaches <laughs> in San Diego. And that led you to go across the country to the Midwest and you pursued your graduate degree at the University of Michigan. Yes. What was, what was that like transitioning from San Diego to Michigan? Yeah, that that's a that's a great question. Um, I'm gonna give some like middle context between yeah. the the grad school and undergrad. That's okay. Um, yeah, of course. So I knew I wanted to go to grad school. Um, following undergrad, I I knew I wanted to get a degree in higher education, but I knew I also needed some time to work to understand mm -hmm. the depth of knowledge I wanted to obtain for my practice. So I got to work for a nonprofit and uh, I love the organization Reality Changers. We'll always shout them out. You know, I remember my roots and that's where I got my, you know, first hands-on experience full-time, you know, doing college advising work, uh, instructing in a classroom setting. I wanted to be a teacher, but then I, you know, went down this pathway and lo and behold, I, I taught a nighttime class for, for scholars. So that was great. Now, in terms of, you know, going from San Diego to Michigan, um, there was this idea that my mentors taught me is that, you know, if you're going to be doing this work of access, outreach, and, you know, challenging systems from an, an equity-minded approach, then you're probably going to want to see 
what it looks like in different areas and understand more of the the national context of access and outreach so i'm like all right cool um i looked at a couple of colleges outside of california with higher ed degrees um and michigan was one of them and Truth be told, it wasn't my first choice. Um, I actually applied to Michigan by chance. One of my volunteers at Reality Changers told me, oh, Michigan has great programs. I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's cool. I'll add into my list uh, with, with no research beyond that. But as I started looking more into it, um, it was the number one higher ed, higher ed program when I got there. They had some amazing faculty of color as well, too. And you know, it also attracted a lot of talent into the cohort that I came with. So in the transition piece, I felt like it was because of the faculty and my peers that I had. And, you know, we, we know this, no institution is perfect, but I had no. the conditions to feel as though I could do it. Um, I was a special case. Um, I was privileged to get a full ride for the grad program. Um, and I had a living stipend as well. The program happened during the pandemic. And I had asked myself, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to be a year in a pandemic and not leaving my house, do I want to <laughs> leave the state knowing it's still going to be online or am I going to make it out there? So I decided to be closer to home because I was helping my mom get her COVID vaccines um, and just being close enough to my, my family for that. And again, privileged to have a stipend to afford an apartment. But then I told myself, all right, last semester, got to get out there. If I have the money to do it, you might as well. Um, the Midwest? It's different from California, <laughs> and I, I, um, I enjoyed it for what it was in terms of uh, geographic differences. I actually experienced four seasons and not San Diego's hot and warm weathers, so that was great. Uh, but when I was leaving, I I felt a part of me missing San Diego a lot. My last meal in San Diego was one of my mom's dishes, uh, kare kare. It's a peanut butter curry. Uh, mm -hmm. with oxtail uh, Filipino cuisine and uh, I cried as I was eating it because I was like dang how long is it going to be before I have this again um, and granted you know a semester is only four months but I felt the brevity yeah. of it and, I mean it's a long four months <laughs> yeah it was a long four months and you and I both know how how long months can feel in grad school so going there I felt like I leaned a lot on my community that I made um, online. I met the people that I only saw through the Zoom boxes. And if it wasn't for them and escaping Ann Arbor, which was kind of like a, I guess, a parallel of La Jolla, mm -hmm. escaping Ann Arbor to then go hang out in Detroit, which is, I guess, my version of Southeast. Um, you know, that's that's why I needed to make that transition, because otherwise I think I would have been lost. Absolutely, because I think that I mean, we all know just that we've talked about capitalism before this podcast and we started recording, but I think when we look at, and I'm going to probably go full circle with this, but uh, going to a university like University of Michigan, when we think about University of Michigan, we think about fo college football. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned like Ann Arbor, Michigan. And when they're showing University of Michigan on TV, they're like, hey, look at, look at Ann Arbor, Michigan. Like, let's look at this circle of this place. Don't worry about what's going on in Detroit. Like that's mm -hmm. that's Detroit. But like look at look at Ann Arbor, look at University of Michigan. And I think that it's really impactful. I think you said your advisor mentioned uh being able to see like what the landscape is across the nation. Yeah. Um, just being able to experience all that, I can only imagine how impactful 
that was just to get a completely different worldview, but also still, like you said, finding parallels between what's familiar with you and what your experiences are. Right. Yeah. And those were some of the you know, key learnings that I needed. Um, I'm trying to look for the book here in my room, but there was one book in particular that I had to read. I think it was called uh, Undermining Racial Justice by uh, Matthew B. Johnson, where it was really a case study of Michigan and mm. or University of Michigan and Arbor and how their diversity recruitment practices actually excluded uh, specifically black and brown bodies from Detroit and outsourced, um, mm. you know, similar students, but of more affluent backgrounds to then look like they're fulfilling the diversity card. So some of those very specific things, like you've mentioned, helped me challenge and reflect on some of the parallels I felt back in San Diego with the microcosm of UCSD and the south of the eight uh, communities and who is or isn't making it across, you know, that highway. Um, and I And I felt that with what was going on with University of Michigan and Arbor and the communities in Detroit. Mm. Absolutely. I want to rewind a little bit uh, because I think you mentioned in your introduction about where you where you from and how that shapes who you become. You mentioned the I Am poem that you wrote. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, uh, what the poem was about, how you used it, and why you chose to use it for University of Michigan? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> So that poem and, oh man, it, it came actually from one of my favorite classes at Michigan, um, Identity and Agency in STEM. Um, it was one of an elective class I actually took outside of my higher ed program. And I, what the first day of class, our teacher, you know, amazing black woman with a lot of um, black feminist teachings that she brought to that classroom. Um, that was like going to church for me every time I was in there. And the first day she had us write the I Am poem. And funnily enough, I used that a lot for my interviews because I, I just felt so challenged to bring that authentic piece of myself with me. But in terms of what was in the poem, you know, I I honored where I came from. I honored my, my parents' sacrifices. But there's this idea also that I explored in that too. And it was you know, coming from our communities, we we get this idea of higher education painted to us as if the grass is greener on the other side. Um, but I end that poem asking everyone, you know, what does it mean for us to give more love to where the grass is brown? Um, and how do we do that in our practice moving forward? Uh, and I've been thinking that, about that a lot because it does inform my practice today. Um, there's this concept that I, I try to remind students, like, look, as you're applying to college, essentially, you've been asked for these past 16, 17 years of your life to present yourself as college ready, be academically prepared, join all these curriculars, you know, make it through your struggles and then share that with your admissions officer. Don't you feel like you have the agency to then demand your university to be student ready um, and then to give love to you and the communities you represent? So that message at the end of the poem is really reminded myself of why this work's important to me but then what needs to change if you know we really are trying to make a difference in this kind of work because i don't want to just push more black and brown bodies into higher ed just to experience harm um in attaining a degree like let's attain the degree and still celebrate everything that you are and will become yeah i think 
that's just so beautifully put because I think it's largely irresponsible how we talk about recruitment and retention of like black and brown BIPOC folks in general in high in higher education because it's like oh yeah like our numbers went up three percent since last year I'm like yeah but you still have students who are having a terrible experience because what so what does that even mean yeah because it's like you said like it's one thing to have like the percentage of students up to where you want it to be at. But if those experiences of the students are negative or harmful, that's not inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. And I absolutely love what you said about giving love to where the grass is brown. That might end up being the title of this episode. I don't know yet, but that was beautiful. I've actually never heard anyone put it that way. And I think that's spectacular. Um, and listeners, I heard, I highly encourage y'all to give thought to writing your own I Am poem. I've written a few versions of I Am poems over the course of being a poet in my life. And I think it's just so impactful when you are able to really sit and go through what all your identities are. And there is actually um, an exercise, I forget what space I was in, but it was an identity workshop. I'm pretty sure it was actually when I was, it was either when I was training to be a summer academy mentor when I was leading a training, but I believe one of the staff from the LGBTQI plus resource center uh, came to give a talk on identity. And we were talking through like, um, there was an activity where they encouraged us to say, I am, and then mm. blank. And then you just keep saying, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. And just seeing how many different I am statements you can make. And though I think that when people practice doing stuff like I am poems, you start to uncover layers of yourself that either you might not have given a lot of uh, amplification to or uh, might not have recognized in a long time. But there's just so many different words you can fill in with that I am statement. And I think people, of course, usually default to some of the more visible characteristics that they portray, like I am a man, I am Black. Um, but when you really start to go deep into what are your values, it's like, yeah, I'm a poet, I'm a family person, I'm family oriented, I'm a community person, I'm a higher education advocate. Uh, there's just so many different things that you can say to those I am lines. So I'm happy that that activity was so impactful for you and that you've been able to utilize it at many different uh, stages of your career and for your personal self. Like I think that every time I've heard you introduce yourself when we're on a Zoom call or we're at an admissions event, it's such a intentional introduction, giving people kind of, I look at it as like extending a hand or all the French people like, hey, these are, this is who I am. If you see yourself in me, like this is a space that you can uh, approach and uh, we can chat about what that's like. Or if you want to learn more, like this is who I am. And that's really important to keep who you are at the center of everything that you do. Right, right. And I think it's lost in translation nowadays too. And we have to perform in workplaces that everything that we are, quite literally influences everything that we do. You know, I can't just go into the work one day and say like, oh, you know, like I can't just hide the fact that my house got shot at 15 years ago because that informs my practice. Because, um, you know, when I was on the road last year, I had this reminder in my head that if, you know, as an admissions officer, if I'm speaking to a student in these communities, it might be the only time they get to speak to someone like me in this position. So how do I give them the best um, experience that I can especially knowing whatever else they have going on. So, you know, it, I think it's so important to, like you said, give honor and give recognition to everything that we are because everything that we are affects everything that we do. 100%.
And I do want to talk a little bit about admissions since you brought it up. Uh, both of us had the opportunity to work as admissions officers doing college outreach and recruitment, uh, going to college fairs and talking to prospective students. And when I look back at my professional experience, I just think through like when I'm really trying to affirm my professional journey or working to affirm my professional journey, I think through just how many lives I probably had such a significant impact mm -hmm. on either one, just being a brown face at a table representing yeah. a college or university two, just starting a conversation with a student three, just empowering a student, because there are so many times I look back in my time in admissions and there will be students who are like, oh, yeah, like, I don't really know what I want to do. And we maybe only have a three or four minute conversation, but it's like I've opened up possibilities for you. I've told you what's possible for you or even my more favorite moments. Parent, student come to the table. Parent, oh, she's interested in biology. I'm like, oh, why are you interested in biology? It's just, oh, she wants to be a doctor. I'm like, yeah, all right. But like, why are you interested in biology? It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, oh, well, we have 130 plus majors. So just right. so like give you the full spiel, we could go back to biology, but I want you to know that it doesn't just have to be biology. And I think that those moments where you really take time to talk to a student, it's just so impactful, which is why I always, not to harp on specific like tactics or strategies when it comes to recruitment, but I hate when people just give like, oh, what's your, what majors are good? Oh, biology. Like, no, like talk to the student, yeah. engage them in conversation because you never know, like if they know what questions they should be asking, uh, if they've ever even thought about other possibilities. So I'm wondering if there are any, uh, not necessarily success stories, but just stories that you recall from like a time at a college fair or doing a high school presentation when you had a overly meaningful impact, meaningful, meaningful interaction with the student. Mm. Man, that's a great question. I think, and this is why I really appreciate you because we have a very similar approach. Um, I know we had different timelines when we were in admissions, but you know, that service practice and that service mindset, how do I serve you in the short time that we have together? Um, I think maybe the most formative light bulbs that I saw go off were when I told students, if it's not now, it might be later and that's okay. Um, I think one of my favorite things that I shared with with students was, look, like, I'll be honest with you, we receive a lot of applications in the freshman uh, cycle, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's your only way to get in. And when we flip that slide, like, look, we go from a 24% acceptance rate um, at the first year level to about a 60 at the transfer level. Sure, there's nuances there, but what does that tell you? There's mm -hmm. access here and there's possibility. And so every moment where there was just a new possibility inspired in the student, whether it was that transfer pathway or whether it was reminding them, even if your high school transcript doesn't best represent you now, you can work to then represent yourself in a new way and then open mm -hmm. that door later. Um, and, you know, it, it's, I, I think I had trouble when conversations were like, you know, where do we strategically focus our efforts? Is it at, the high schools where we know there's like um, high, you know, feeding rates or high matriculation mm -hmm. rates of those students to our school, or what about the ones that don't have as much? Can we ask why that those schools don't have those higher rates? And I felt pretty privileged to, you know, just have that agency and, and go into those schools and then, you know, showing them my report um, afterwards. So it's, it was those moments where it's just uh, revealing new possibilities because I know and you probably know I wouldn't <laughs> be thinking this way when I was in high school student screws like I I wasn't thinking transfer pathway I didn't even know what a major was so man um, just clearing those 
information points, knowing what we have and how we can do that from that service mindset, I think was what um, were the basis of my success stories. Absolutely. And I think for me too, with regards to that service point, uh, because now I was recruiting for admissions, my focus areas or my areas I was recruiting were Oakland and the greater East Bay, as well as Atlanta and greater Georgia areas. And I would do some like diversity recruiting events here and there. But to me, like when I was in some of those inner city high schools or underserved high schools in Oakland, I was like, let me like, like I'm, I have on my admissions hat, but kind of like sideways, but also yeah. like, I'm like, let me spit game at y'all yeah, real right, quick. Right. Like, let me talk to y'all. Like, that's what I really appreciate about my time in admissions. Cause it wasn't just like, oh, here are our majors. Like, nah, like, okay. If I talk to you like, oh, well, my grades aren't good. I can't never go to UCSD. What if I told you that if you transfer, none of that matters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just having those types of conversations with students and having those honest conversations like, hey, I know I have on this UCSD poem. I'm behind this table. Look, I'm 24 years old. I graduated from UCSD X amount of years ago. Like, let me just talk to you as a person. I'll answer whatever admissions questions you have for sure. But let me get to know what you want. Let me right. get to know who you are, what your story is, because all of that is very, very important. Right. Right. And to do that with students, like I never had that kind of conversation before with an adult. So it, it just makes me feel warm knowing that those students had that conversation. And, you know, when it's people like you or like me that have that opportunity, it's I know we're the kind of people to take that and to give Absolutely. that to students. It's it's priceless. Sure. Priceless. Chris, this conversation is going exactly as I thought it would go and better. I just love being able to nerd out on like higher education, access, recruitment, uh, because I think that I'm, like, I'm sure this is probably similar for you. I didn't know what an admissions officer was. Like I became an admissions officer. I didn't know that was a job you could have. Right. Um, so when I would talk to my family about like work, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an admissions officer. And yes, I could say like, I, because from the outside, it looked like I'm just traveling all over the world and like staying in hotels and whatnot. But it's like, no, these are what this is what's happening on the ground level at these college fairs, talking to 300 plus people that night. But each of those conversations, like a lot of them are like very intentional, mm -hmm. impactful conversations. So I'm very appreciative to just have some bandwidth to be able to dive deeper into that because yeah. it's work that we're passionate about. And I think that when it comes to kind of the peripheral areas of admissions where like it's more of the busy worker behind a computer i think sometimes it's easy not to look to not to focus on uh those moments that we have at those tables so i'm just it, it brought me a lot of energy to be able to talk to that with you on this podcast this morning <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, I feel the energy i'm glad to share it to you uh when i was doing my deep dive in preparation for this episode i opened your linkedin page intentional language all over your LinkedIn page to no surprise. Uh, but what I really appreciated was your headline, uh, equity-minded educator, leader, and friend. Tell us more about that. Oh, man. Yes. I I first came across this like phrase, equity-minded, when I was working for the Trident Community Leadership Institute, you know, retention program for first-gen students, and my supervisor, who you, you might know the name or be familiar with, uh, Frida Avear. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, and she used to be at Spaces, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she gave us these trainings and, like, you know, really instilled this idea of equity-minded approaches. I think it was still developing for me at that time, but 
as I matured through my career, um, I had to question where is this work situated in? You know, yes, I'm doing access and outreach, but within what systems? You know, systems of power, privilege, and oppression, uh, systems that disadvantage um, colored bodies, um, differently abled bodies, uh, and different situations all across the board. And I've had to really ask myself, what am I really doing? Um, and that happened actually in my first job. You know, I loved the work that I was doing at Reality Changers. Um, and I would say that my approach was still equity minded, right? I'm still trying to give space for students to share their full stories. But then I looked at the larger picture um, and it goes back to, to systems, right? Um, am I preparing them for success? Um, is it truly equity minded if I get them there without the tools to survive um, and thrive? Um, so I explored this concept of being systems conscious uh, when I was in grad school, which is why I wanted to go. Um, there is this quote that still rings true to me to this day as I continue being a college access professional. It's, uh, or story, I guess, where this old man um, is walking across this beach and, you know, there's starfish that are, um, you know, washing up on the shore. And one by one, he's throwing the starfish back into the ocean because, you know, that's where they got to be. Um, and they're being pushed out by the waters. So, like, at the, um, I guess, micro scale, he's doing great work, throwing them back in. And that's how I viewed my work. You know, I was helping students get into the system. Um, but then it begged the question of what's happening in the waters that's pushing them out. Um, and it's only a matter of time before so many are washed up on the shore that only one person or one group of communities can continue to throw them back in. So to be equity minded for me means to be systems minded and, and to understand where this work is situated. I am very honest about this part of my work right now as a program director with First Gen Scholars. Um, I'm not doing groundbreaking work in terms of a system. Like I'm still helping students get into higher education and navigate those um, complex institutions. But what I want to be groundbreaking in is to help them build their own system minded practice and system minded navigations of higher ed. So that ties back to the question earlier, is your university student ready for you? Mm -hmm. And can you can you name why? Um, and hopefully, you know, as I continue my tenure here at First Gen, my goal is to um, have our students know these universities and these systems need them much more than the students need these universities. And once they break through, I think that's when I've done something groundbreaking and achieved this equity-minded approach. Yeah, I, I love the starfish analogy too, because yeah, I think we've talked about it a number of times this episode, but we want to make sure that the environment that we're trying to get students to is an environment that's ready for them. And I think that's why when it came to recruiting like largely black and brown students for admissions, when they would ask about diversity or campus climate, that's when I was like, all right, like if I'm gonna answer this question right, I need you to stay at this table for like a few more minutes right? because I want to give you this full picture. I don't want to just give them like, oh, we have this percentage. And because like, yes, UCSD has like a small percentage of black students, which has increased a lot over the last few years, uh, but it's still like just alarming for people who aren't familiar with the landscape of higher education. If you say that there's only 3% black students at a college, 
like it's if you know the landscape of higher education it's a little less surprising but i never wanted students to walk away from a table and that's the only thing they heard about like what campus climate like or what is diversity like at your institution because i want students to know like hey I'm not at this college fair to tell you that UCSD is this oasis in Disneyland for you as a BIPOC student. What I can tell you, and that's why I really prided myself on, I'm sure you did too, on being an alum of the institution yeah. that I was representing because I could say like, hey, this is my experience. Yeah. So this is an experience that can be had at UC San Diego. But at the same time, these are the systems that are at play going back to your equity-minded approach and make sure you talk about the systems, giving students a full picture and let them make that decision. Like if you want to go into this ocean and figure out, you're going to be pushed onto shore a lot when you're in a college environment, but hopefully you meet the people or have people in your network are going to bring you back in the ocean like along the way. Right, right. And that's honestly all I could ask for. You know, it's can you find your support systems? And then can you also push these systems to, I guess, clear the waters for you because they've been muddied for too long. And, you know, it, it's it's great when I know people like you are doing that. It's great when I know I have a team and scholars that are having those seeds planted. Uh, Cause one thing that I also really appreciate about the organization right now, it's we're helping students become the first but also making sure they're not the last. Um, and I think it's through that equity-minded approach and you know, addressing what's in the water is that we do that. Absolutely. And before we get out of talking about access, outreach, retention, all things higher education, I want to be able to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing, uh, just to bring it all full circle, because I know we've mentioned like your start with Reality Changers. We mentioned your time at UC San Diego, uh, but wanted to let listeners know where you're at now. What are you doing now? What are you up to? Yeah, thanks for that. I really appreciate that because I am so like honored, privileged. I can't even like use all the words I want to use to describe how I'm feeling where I'm at. I'm at First Gen Scholars with an amazing founder and director, Jonathan Burgos, and an amazing team of four. <laughs> um, you know, shout out to Jenin and Jocelyn as well, too, for holding it down with me. I'm a senior program director for our organization. We're a college access program and uh, what's beautiful and what I'm so thankful for is that I came in at a point where there's a lot to build and there's a lot to scale. And we've gotten so much funding from school districts to serve more students. Uh, but in order to reach the capacity we want to, we have to make sure systems are in place. And um, I, I'm using systems a lot in different ways. Um, and, and purposes of the organization, I, I'm thinking more like systems like okay what's our what's our approach to coaching a student this way Uh, what's our curriculum what's our summer program goals and how do we train our staff members for that so having things in place I'm really stimulated in that way and leaving my mark here where you know if we're gonna do this work then what's our approach and I get the hands in developing that approach um, training not just our staff but also our scholars to go back to their schools and create college going cultures. So this is a little shameless plug for my org, but um, <laughs> one thing that's I feel is so special about first-gen scholars is that we're not trying to gatekeep the resources. We fully recognize um, that although this program is great, we just can't serve every student. Um, so how do we give our students the ability to serve their peers? Um, we have 20 different club charters across San Diego where students from our program 
actually take the lessons they've learned from us, whether it's uh, college list building, financial aid, writing college essays, and they're actually training and uh, supporting their peers at their high schools um, as, you know, college culture builders. So, you know, to, to be part of this process where we're building and we're giving students agency to then build at their high schools, it's great. And I closed my personal statement uh, for grad school with, um, as a future program director, I will fill in the cracks for communities like my own in Paradise Hills. And to say that I have that role doing that now, you know, it, it hits me every day and I, I don't take it for granted. Yeah, and I think that I can definitely tell that you don't take it for granted both through this podcast, but as well as just who you your presence online, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, I can tell there's a lot of passion in the work that you're doing and that at least from the outside, I'm sure it's from the inside as well. Like, it seems like you're very proud of the position you're at, the impact that you're able to have, your reach. Because I think that when it comes to growing within higher education, when you're first starting and having this equity-minded uh, approach, you realize that a lot of the issues that you hope to serve and address, you need to have a lot more power, reach, and influence to be able to address those issues. So to be in positions where you have a lot more direct control over having that impact in the way that you want to have, I know it's a special feeling, so I'm definitely happy for you. Thanks, man. It's all love. It's all love. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, before we transition to the tail end of the episode, I wanted to make sure we left some space to talk about some things that you're passionate about and interested in outside of higher education. Uh, I want to start with kind of one of our favorite ways to catch up. Uh, we started this podcast with a question about uh, your favorite Korean barbecue meat. Uh, over the last few years, when we've caught up, we're usually like, hey, you want to get Korean barbecue? And then we just end up uh, talking about life, having honestly almost cut and paste same conversation we're having on this podcast but just with the grill in front of us some bulgogi some beef brisket some beef belly you feel me um but i really appreciate those times that we're able to catch up over food because i think food is such an important i don't even know what i want to call it but it's such an important component of yeah. just our different cultures and just about breaking bread and being a community with people like yeah. the last time we got korean barbecue at three five six like that, it just felt like I was breaking bread with like someone I really care about. And I really appreciate that. And that's how it's felt every time. And I think each time I'm like, wow, like I needed this. And I just love those moments so much. Um, yeah, I don't even know if there's a question there, but I just wanted to make sure that we had some space to just talk about that pillar of our friendship because not that I associate you with barbecue, but it's like <laughs> Chris. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Um, a little, I guess, side thought. Um, something one of my friends brought up to me is that, you know, I, I don't know if it's like a male specific thing, but there was a study that showed that like, you know, typically for, for males, like there's something like if you're doing something together, that's when you can connect. So it's like, oh, well, it, it makes sense that guys like go into like deep stories with each other while they're playing Call of Duty, or it makes sense that guys are like getting Korean barbecue and like they're just chopping it up. So, um, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I'm just glad we get to do it together. Um, but you're right like it's i think it's brought us like so close and i've learned about you in ways that i wanted to for so long and you know chopping it up like the last time at 356 i'm like that was medicine for me too so i hope you know Absolutely. that as well 
Absolutely. And I think at the, I forget the exact question you asked, but we both acknowledge it's like, yeah, we're too close to just start with, oh, how's work? But yeah. you asked me some deep question to jump. I was like, oof, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, we get in there. Like, I don't even know if the meat done yet. And now I'm really in my head, like trying to think about like these different moments in my life. But I think that form of intentional conversation with some type of shared activity is just so important. And I think that is my favorite way to catch up with a person is with like some type of shared activity, whether it's food, uh, Sabrina and I talked on the podcast about how we'll go like walk around a lake or yeah. go by the beach, uh, just to have some type of centerpiece to the conversation. And I think that there's a lot of psychology behind that too, because in my MBA program, uh, I had this class on creative thinking essentially. And it was talking about how just getting out of the spaces that you're usually at, you never know what type of unconscious processing is happening. So like, as you're like cooking meat at Korean barbecue or thinking about what meat you want, your brain is just really like, there's a part of your brain that's focused on a task and it's allowing mm -hmm. like other unconscious processing to happen to where it's like, yeah, like now I have this space to just talk and think through these things. But I also think that it's a great way to catch up with somebody because everybody's got to eat right right why not break bread together <laughs> yeah and it, it's it's like a for me it's like an act of love like hey like have you eaten today let's go eat or like you've craving something let's go catch up so i'm glad we get to share that and it's it's you know you mentioning that as something you learn in your, your uh, uh grad program like i feel so affirmed because i'm like when i was in grad school i needed to be doing something or else i'm not gonna make it through that three-hour lecture on zoom <laughs> so at some point i turned my camera off and started cooking but i'm listening but it's because yeah. that part of my mind stimulated that other things can formulate so thank you for affirming my processes <laughs> oh 1000 like you and i both had uh portions or all of our grad programs that were on zoom there is especially my classes were 6 30 p.m to 9 30 p.m oh, mm. i had to do something else while i was in class mm. like and it was productive though it was either like cooking cleaning doing laundry i'll some nights it was basketball on in the background i'm not gonna lie but i was still focused <laughs> on class um but it's just like being able to maximize being home and being able to do other things is so important um one more thing i want to mention korean barbecue though that I just thought of as we were talking about it, I think that another layer that is an act of love with specifically like the all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue is it also has the aspect of serving other people yes. too. Like finish the meat, you're dividing portions between you, uh, asking if people want more, sharing sides, sharing appetizers, uh, soju, sake, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it's just like, there's just something very intimate about like cooking meat together, uh, being able to like share food with each other and having those conversations. So um, listeners, Chris and I are about to go get Korean barbecue right now. We're going to end up. So right here. No, I know I'm already hungry, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I know I'm starting to get hungry too. I need to figure out what I'm eat after this podcast is over. Um, but outside of Korean barbecue, I know another thing that is very important for you is dance. Yeah. So why don't you start with where your love for dance started? Mm. So although my dance journey itself started in undergrad, I actually really appreciated dance a lot in, in high school and parts of middle school. I, oh God, I'm revealing the whole backstory. I, I found this friend group <laughs> where like, you know, like, hey, you want to go break dance? And so I like learned things like the six step and the coffee grinder, uh, top rock and all that i could never do the power moves but i just like the idea that we're expressing through music with our bodies mm. um 
so that was always fun for me um even if i didn't know how in high school i, I was like i I'm, I'm gonna do a little something we'll do a little something so the high school dances were always pretty lit um, i didn't really go to functions like that but you know when, when the music was on it was i could just tune out um and as my dance journey continued, um, I, I took some workshops uh, at UCSD, some beginner workshops. And mind you, I was coming from a background of like being this like buff, stiff wrestler. So <laughs> I, I did look pretty silly and I felt silly for a long time. But, you know, it, I eventually joined um, UCSD's competitive. I, uh, depending on who you ask, you can call it hip hop. You, you don't call it hip hop. It was competitive dance team, collegiate dance. Uh, choreography ascension at ucsd and it was my second year there that i just became comfortable moving uh because it was no longer oh i gotta look good to try out or make a piece i, I was just happy to move um <laughs> and it's it's helped me i think not just become confident in myself but then also understand what creative expression really means and you know why that's so important um because yes i can creatively express new solutions to this chemistry problem but I want to do it in a way where I'm just not thinking I'm just being and that's what um dance did for me it also helped me understand how to listen to music differently um before it was you know oh this song is cool uh midpoint through my dance journey it was how do I find all the new beats to hit but then I think now it's how do I just understand what the song feels like um mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just so grateful for that. And it's helped me be more appreciative of the people who put together music, um, understand intentionality behind like a bridge to a chorus or like, why do you end with a longer instrumental versus just cutting it off there? Um, and I know this is like somewhat adjacent now going to music, but there was this quote that I was like, just fell in love with where someone was like, you know, if, um if art is how we decorate space then music is how we decorate time and I've i'm like that quote too and that quote whoa. is beautiful yeah that's such like, a beautiful quote whoa. And, um, <laughs> and i guess now with with dance um for me it's like now i get to honor how people are decorating time with how i'm feeling uh when that decoration is being heard in my ears. So I, I've come to appreciate dance for what it's done for me, helped me understand music, helped me love my body and find ways to just outwardly express joy. Yeah, that, that music quote is so beautiful. I remember when I first saw that coming across the timeline, I was like, ooh, that's so Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally what it is. Like, I think art in general decorates time, but it's like, yeah like i think just how we feel some of the white space in our lives like if you're just sitting in your house like throwing on a song like the type of song you put on is going to decorate that time in such a different way depending on what song it is like some songs you put on you might want to cry to some mm -hmm. you might want to dance to uh, some you might want to turn up to or like live your best like thug life to like you, right. you never know um putting you on the spot with this next question but do you have a favorite song or songs to dance to like if you put it on like you just have to dance to and you like experience i'm not even going to label what emotion like whatever experience you want it to be okay i gotta put this out there the function bangers you know like e40 um you know all those like ones where you're uh, the meme was like you'd be in the high school classroom and then the song comes on and then you're like oh i gotta run to the dance floor <laughs> like you know that's when that's when we're throwing down um 
in terms of songs that I hear now that I, I I have to move to, I've been taking a lot of Latin dance classes with my partner. So whenever I hear like salsa, bachata, cha-cha songs, you know, I feel that movement now because I've understood how that style of dance and um, that dance culture decorates or like expresses through that decoration of time, you know, so I've felt pretty connected to that. I want to learn more. Um, I think other folks that I hear, I think anything that's like true deep hip hop, like I feel that Bob, you know, and for me, that's like, I think that Bob helps me connect to what they're, what stories are trying to tell, or even it's not stories they're trying to tell. They're just trying to like, you know, be, I'm like, I feel that. So, yeah. so that, even you just saying the Bob, like I got the Bob in my head now, cause this, there's just some, that Bob, the hip hop rap Bob, it's just something so spiritually powerful to yeah. that, that I just, I don't know how many words can truly explain, but there's just certain songs when I hear it, I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm here with you. I'm on the block with you. Like, I, I know this story, even if I didn't experience this specific story, this is my cousin or this is my brother or this is somebody that I know. Like, this is like, I'm I'm rocking with you. Literally. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I know it doesn't directly answer the question because I don't, I don't like dance, but I move and bob to it. Um, Oh my gosh. Uh I forget the song name, but Anderson Pack and B the BJ the Chicago Kid. Um, mm-hmm. I'll sing you a song after, but they they made a song together where like just like you mentioned, it's just so familiar, and I can't help but not move because I feel connected. Is it the waters? Sweet um, feel the vibe. Feel the vibe. Feel the vibe. I yeah, that that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm, I think you really enjoy it. Cool. Right, cool. Well, I would definitely I'm pretty sure I've heard it before, too, but we're going to give it a listen again after we're done with this podcast episode. Uh, One more thing that you mentioned as you were talking about dance, uh, you mentioned like wrestling. Uh, You are very into fitness as well. Uh, One, I didn't know that you were a wrestler. Were you literally a wrestler or are you just talking about the wrestling body? <laughs> um, I was a like uh, the high school sport wrestler. Yeah yeah okay yeah high school score wrestling well let's just in terms of this fitness and movement category which dance still falls into but uh you have your own like fitness ig page that you post some of your workouts in from time to time uh we had the gym morning crew that uh we 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 tried our best to have some (laughs) mornings uh but what has fitness done for you in your life and keeping like an active lifestyle yeah and, and dance is part of this too so i appreciate this question um at the onset, I actually used fitness as a way to correct my body in a way that wasn't healthy. Um, and, and this was tied a lot to, you know, younger Chris's insecurities. Um, I was at one point in middle school, I weighed as much as I did in college. And mm. I felt ashamed about that because of the messages I received. Um, and I, I, did, I did get bullied. Um, I received a lot of comments from family. Um, especially having older brothers that were athletic. So my beginning phases with fitness was I hate what my I hated what my body was, so I wanted to fix it. And even though there was a sense of empowerment there, I don't think it came from the right place. Um, so the reason why I feel as though dance is a huge and integral part of my fitness journey was, Dance helped me understand and then have a relationship with my body in a way that I didn't have before. I 
I wouldn't even say I had a relationship with my body before. It was I needed to be better or I need to look this way to feel good about myself. And it wasn't until dance that I'm like, I understood the way my body moves. I understood like why it's important to take care of it, um, prevent injury and you know, be grateful for the vessel that I have to do what I do that I've reapproached my fitness journey now. So, you know, I still lift, I still have a program and everything and whatnot, um, but I'm not harping myself on being the strongest or being the most aesthetically pleasing. I just want to feel good. Um, and I want to live along or as long of a life as I can. And maybe that's not reflected best in my diet decisions right now, but at least in terms of my movement decisions, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make it work. <laughs> hey, all that we can be is the best attempt that we can be like you got to get the korean barbecue in there uh the diet is going to fluctuate from time to time but i think that the most important thing is that mindset of why your why is just so so important there yeah. like you want to feel good about yourself you want to live a long fulfilling life within that sometimes feeling good about yourself and living a long fulfilling life you got to shoot yourself to some korean barbecue yeah you gotta get good food from time to time you gotta get some ice cream whatever it might be uh, because I think that when we have a healthy relationship with fitness and lifestyle, that's when the best results happen. Like the time in my life where I felt like I was in the quote unquote best shape of my life or just a shape that I felt very uh, proud about in terms of fitness level was when I was just doing it because I like, yeah, like I enjoy doing this or I'm doing this because it makes me feel good in the morning. I'm not doing it to achieve like a certain societal goal, but just yeah. like a feeling that I want to feel. And I think that's just so impactful for our listeners to hear as well yeah yeah and, and that goes back to the relationship with my, my body and i do also need to credit my partner here too because i think her relationship with me and honoring the fact that i am also carried by my body and if we want to have a life together then i gotta take care of it so um I, i'm not saying this to cover myself because i know she's going to hear this later uh but it's also what goes in not just what i'm doing to it so like small choices like if I know I'm eating a lot of red meat that that week, then I have to be mindful because that does affect the long term. So that's also an aspect of my relationship with my body. Like what I put in is also how I take care of it. Um, and I'll be honest with you, growing up in like an area where like the focus was just to eat with the money that we got, that was never a first thought for me. Um, and I have a lot to thank for her because that's also part of my fitness journey. It's not just don't protein chase. Um, you know, think about how I can make sure I'm receiving nutrients that take care of my whole self. And I feel like I feel so much more clarity because of what I'm eating, um, thanks to, you know, her being what she is for me and my body. So I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't put that part in for my fitness journey. Absolutely. Happy that we're able to include in the episode. Uh, so last formal question of the podcast before we get to some of the quick hitter questions to close us out. Uh, something I'm still workshopping. I tried it out with Sabrina last episode. I don't know the lingo I want to use to set it up fully yet, but it's this concept that I'm calling the fourth place. So in my MBA program, uh, we had this case study. I'm pretty sure it was on Starbucks, but I need to double check for accuracy. Uh, but it was talking about some of the like impetus for Starbucks was that they wanted to be this third place for people between work and school or mm. work slash school in the home so starbucks or your local coffee shop being this third place where you can go be in community or just have this midpoint between your worker school and your home and so what i'm calling the fourth place for this ending question of the podcast is where is your zen place or 
scenarios, circumstances, situations where you feel the most peace of mind. Oh, okay. Man, you have such an amazing mind. That's a great question. <laughs> Man, the fourth place. Um, let me know when you drop the your your movie on that or your book on that, because I will buy that. <laughs> that I am I'm taking 15 seconds just to process how great of a question that was. I'll All take right. as much time as you need. <laughs> so to answer the question, my fourth place is I think it's when I'm performing. Um uh, you know, whether it's in a dance workshop or, you know, we, we worked on a performance and then I'm on that stage for five minutes. Like I Zen is such a great way to capture it. Other I just it's when I'm most present and I'm just not thinking I'm doing. Um the gym is also that for me too. When I plug in my my earphones, I'm just kind of focusing on being connected with my body, um, understanding my cues, listening to it. If I'm like, I wanted to go higher today, but my body's telling me this, so let me let me be present. That's another way that I am in my fourth place. Um, I'm trying to think others. Video games, honestly, well, you know, at least when I'm not playing PvP, <laughs> getting mad at someone behind the screen. Um, when I'm fully immersed in the story in the game, I feel really at Zen too, because I can appreciate those storylines. Um, so yeah, I'd say those are my fourth places. Awesome, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think the fourth place is going to be a segment I keep because I'm just very interested to see like where people get into their Zen place because. I think for me, like whether it's sit sitting by a body of water is the one I usually go to, mm. uh, whether it's like uh, the ocean, a lake, even if it's just like a small pool of water, uh, just something about being near water just puts me at peace. Like being able to right. look at the water, seeing how it's moving. Um, I think playing basketball at the gym is another one of those things too, just because like similar to you, it's just, I'm really in touch with my body and like, obviously, I'm not training to go to the NBA, yeah. but thinking through if I was training or if I were training to go to the NBA, what are the things I would want to tweak about the movements I'm making or what are what what feels right, what feels good? And then, of course, every Hooper has the like shot clock going down, like five seconds left in the game, about to take this game winner, uh, trying to feel like Kobe in the gym. Uh, those are the moments where it just feels really good, too. Like you hit three straight shots, like, well, I'm on fire, like, the yeah. Uh, those moments are definitely a Zen place for me. Uh, recently doing puzzles too has been one. Like I love completing a good puzzle. Um, yeah, we need more space in our life to talk about where we get our Zen at. Right, right. It's it's needed. You know, we're we're humans. We have to tend to that that innate human part of us. Absolutely. Uh, so Chris, outside of what we have discussed so far, what else do people need to know about you to get a complete picture of who you are? Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel is important to your story? Mm, that's a great question. Um, wow. Never been asked that before. <laughs> well, mm, I feel like I have, but you have such great questions. I feel like I've shared so much about myself. That's important. Um, I have a cat. <laughs> I thought I was a dog person growing up. Um, but, you know, having this, you know, life to care about and then also to just, you know, be present and joyful with, um his name's lupin uh I, I really enjoy what he does for me and my partner he, he's a little a rascal sometimes and he got stuck <laughs> in a tree the other night and i'm like i can't believe this actually happens in real life i'll say i've never heard of a cat getting actually stuck in a tree like you see it in tv but yeah like... yeah i i didn't know it was a thing and then homeboy got stuck in a tree for eight hours and we didn't <laughs> find him until nighttime so you know, he's grounded right now but um <laughs> 
but you know during that time we were worried sick and thought he was gone and it wasn't until he got back that i you know i cried because i'm like damn i missed you and i really thought you were gone so um it's it sounds silly but i'm really you know so grateful to have this cat and he's he's taught me a lot about loving another life in a way that i didn't think and i'm like oh yeah i know i got that concept from being my partner i'm like nope here's a cat to reteach you everything you think you need to know about loving another life yeah taking care of animals definitely teaches you a lot about caring for another life for sure um chris if i listen to this full episode of this podcast and I'm like man christian is a really dope person i want to follow his journey learn more about him where would i be able to find you and how could i be able to support you oh man i appreciate you that second part that that's so kyler um instagram is a cool way to keep up with me but i'll be honest with you that's not like i i just don't regularly update that um i love to grab coffee but they want to also like share stories and especially if you know our work can align um my email is on our website chris at firstgenscholars.org um but yeah, no, I, if there's ever any time to just kind of break bread, whether it's, you know, over Korean barbecue, over coffee, over banquet hall podcast with Kyler, um, 15 minute walk, I think that's the best way. Um, in terms of supporting, I feel like you do a great job of checking in and every time we hold space, like I mentioned, it feels like medicine to me. So don't ghost me. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget me when you're famous. <laughs> Not at all. You're part of the journey, Chris. Um, any shameless plugs, any shout outs, anything you want to manifest on the podcast before we close out? Yeah. Um, follow First Gen Scholars. Um, if you haven't bought any of Kyler's books yet, please make sure um, you look it up. He's on Amazon, whether it's his most recent release, um, Obsidian, right? Um, or I feel like Full Bloom is the, technically the most recent one. Okay, got it. Um, or even if you want to go back all the way and then see the start, peace of mind, make sure you support Kyler, follow the podcast. Um, He's supposed to be shadows for you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to elevate. Um, other shameless plugs. Um, if you want the best ube crinkle cookies in California, I will die on this hill. Hit up uh, Cooking Pow Pow. Um, I'll die on that hill, too. <laughs> man, yeah, I'll, I'll dig our gravestones for us. Yeah, those... <laughs> Man, the texture the I figure out for yourselves, y'all. Hit him up. He does batch orders. Um anything else? If I start, I won't stop. So I'm I'm, I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> hey, the cookie plug was a good plug. Y'all can hit up Cooking Pow Pow. Check out his episode of the Banquet Hall too. We had a really good conversation about like the culinary arts. Uh we also talked about Birdhouse, of course, Summer Bridge, KP. Um, definitely check that episode out too. And then uh, any takeaways from this episode, takeaways that you're taking away from this episode, and then what are some takeaways you hope our listeners are taking away? Yeah. Personally, for me, this is a reminder just, you know, whenever there's an opportunity to reconnect and to reflect with someone you care about, take that. Um, you know, for, for those that are listening, I'm, like I mentioned before, I don't, say that as a joke i really am privileged to know kyler and because of the person he is for his community his friends and you know like he mentioned this ain't new, new to us we literally do this across the grill <laughs> now we're just doing it over zoom so i'm taking away a reminder of how powerful it is to reflect in reconnections with people you care about um to the viewers i i hope you maybe think about someone that you miss 
that mm -hmm. maybe you can reconnect and reflect with, whether it's over Korean barbecue, whether it's over Zoom, or whatever brings you joy over a shared activity. Um, you know, reach out to someone that you miss because you don't know how much it might mean to you or that person. I love that. Uh, something else new that this is the first podcast I'm uh, formally starting this on, but I want to make sure that I throw some takeaways in there too. And I think that the most important takeaway from me for this episode is that what I do matters. And I mean that like both in the personal, what I do matters, but also in the global, like what we do matters. Yeah. Um, like we talk about the things we do, but when you really stick to what's important to you and your why, like it always is going to matter and it's always going to work out. Like, I tell people all the time, like, it's probably not a day goes by where I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna stop doing podcasts. Like, I'm tired of this. It's not getting the views that I want. I'm over it. But then I remember that the reason the banquet hall started was to be able to share the stories that people I care about. And as long as I'm sticking to that, why? Like, this is giving me a lot of fuel for this Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to another podcast I'm recording later today. Like, just because these spaces are just so important. And then I hope that our listeners, I want to ditto what you said with regards to whoever they're thinking about. When Chris said, like, whoever you're thinking about, whoever you thought about, like, I want you to literally, like, text them right now. Yeah. You don't have to, like, set the plans yet. But just be like, hey, I was listening to this podcast at Banquet Hall Pod, and I, was listening, and I thought of you. Uh, don't forget to throw the shameless plug in there. But no, seriously, like, I think um, I pride myself on when I think about people, I try to text them or hit them up relatively soon even if it's not in that moment just because there's a reason i thought about that person they're a person that they're important to me uh, so i want to make sure that i reach out to people when i think about them and i think we live in a society now where we feel like we have to have a reason to hit people up mm -hmm. or uh, you don't want to be awkward or feel like too needy but we're humans like we need connection we need community so i highly encourage y'all whoever you thought of or whoever you're thinking about now just hit them up check on them See if y'all can make plans to catch up, whether it's a 15-minute Zoom call, hour-long coffee, or a couple hours of Korean barbecue, but make it work. Right, right. And the work that you do will always be worth. So, um, yeah, shout-out to Banquet Hall. If you ain't following, then, you know, something's wrong. So make it right. Hey, I love that. Uh, last question of the podcast before uh, I turn it over to you for any last closing words, as well as to plug the podcast one more time. Uh, do you have any recommendations uh, uh, recommendations for either books, podcasts, movies, or songs that you would want our listeners to check out, whether to get a more complete picture of who you are or more insight into who you are, or just in general, you're like, hey, this is good content. You should check it out. I have feel the vibe down there as a recommendation. Yeah. But anything else that has come up for you that you feel like would be good for our listeners to check out? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books, I read it every year, is The Alchemist. Um, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it has a parable in it, but it's, it's like a story that's disguised as a self-help and like reminders that you are exactly where you need to be. And the, you know, if you truly want something, the universe will conspire in ways to help you achieve it. You know, of course, not without challenges, but, um, that's always a reminder for me to stay true to my North star. So I hope, you know, if anyone wants to read, that's an easy read. Um, and for me, it always blows my mind every time just because of the reminders that it gives me about my own life. Um, Feel the Vibe is definitely a listen I want uh, viewers to listen to because, you know, it's that head bob, it's that connection. Um, yeah, I'd say those are probably the top two things I'd say. Um, and go watch a film, you know, and go appreciate <laughs> some film. Yeah, go appreciate some film. 
Uh, listeners, as always, we gave you five-star content. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating. Uh, Chris gave us a lot of gems throughout this episode. And I hope that y'all are taking these uh, gems to heart and being able to use them in your life or share this story with other people as well. Uh, if there's someone that you feel would benefit from listening to this episode, definitely share the podcast with them. Uh, whether it's somebody looking to get into higher education or someone that's already in their higher education journey and looking for some guidance or inspiration. I think this episode is very well reaching and can impact a lot of people. So definitely want to make sure that we continue to amplify the podcast. Uh, you can check out the podcast on social media at Banquet Hall Pod on Instagram, Twitter. I'm mostly active on Instagram. There is a TikTok, not active on TikTok right now. Uh, but you can go on IG, check out some of the prior stories. Also currently developing the fourthkyler.com. So if you go to the fourthkyler.com slash BHP, uh, you can check out some of the stories that have been posted on there so far. Uh, starting to do like very many blog posts about each of the episodes just to give people an idea of what the conversation is like and hopefully... Uh, y'all can engage with some of the other uh, interviews that have been on the podcast. I know some of y'all are coming because you're like, oh, I got to hear Chris's story, but check out another story too while you're here. <laughs> yeah. And for any students coming in, check out not just, you know, Birdhouse folks, but, you know, some of the other amazing stories that, you know, I don't have direct connections with because you can direct connect with them through the amazing space Kyler is offered here. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for your time, your intentionality. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to share this space with you and to share space in each other's lives. Uh, this podcast was very filling for me, as I'm sure it was for you as well. And I know our listeners will take a lot from this as well. Uh, listeners, thank you all for tuning in. And as always, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.